Welcome to this week's Dewsbury Gospel Church podcast with Pastor Ward. Thank God for the voice of Jesus, amen, who spoke so many good things. Word of God says that wherever he went, he was doing good things. A church should be seen to be doing good things, amen. It's not good things that get us saved, it's what Jesus did on the cross, and therefore it's not by works, but it's by His grace. But when we come into grace, we should be doing good things, amen. Because we receive the nature of God, we have the same nature as Jesus, we have the same resurrection life and power that was in Jesus, because we're born again of His Spirit, amen. And so church should be seen to be doing these good things. But the essence of the good things is the gospel. If we're doing it just for the sake of good things, then we're missing the whole point. Uh, God is wanting to reach this world. And this world is suffering. It's staggering at the moment. Just like Jesus said, there'll be wars and rumors of wars and uh, now we realize people are just ready to press a button and the whole thing could explode. All right now what is being prepared even for Samaria, uh, for Syria and uh, that Middle East region, uh, it's all in the book, isn't it? It's already been prophesied that these things would be. Damascus will be brought to nothing, it says in the word of God. And now, you know, bombs are being prepared to, well, we don't know what's going to come from it, but thank God for the voice of hope. Amen. And Jesus said, you know, when you hear of these things, don't get upset. Don't be disturbed by it. You've got great hope. Amen. But we want that hope to be in all people, amen, so that they might not despair. Our past has been taken care of. We have great confidence in the present because we see the future. And we're meant to be bringing the future into the present. And so we can rejoice. That's why Jesus said to his disciples before he was leaving, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. And that I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. A lot of the things we've been singing about angels and uh, you know, there's going to be um, angels visiting before the return of our Lord Jesus. They were visiting, weren't they, before his first coming. And you can be sure that they're going to show up again. Amen. I was reading one great man of God and he said on one occasion that he was going through a difficult time and he said he was in prayer and he opened his eyes and he saw Jesus. He says, but stood behind him was this eight foot tall man that he recognized as an angel. And kind of Jesus just said, what's your problem? This is your angel. And all the word of God tells us we've all got guiding angels. Billy Graham says you've got more than one. 
because in the scriptures it talks about angels as he says angels you know they're watching over us ah, good news you're not on your own so there's protection for us yes we got the demonic realm coming against us but they're already defeated praise God they're actually under your feet you don't have to get upset when things are going wrong you're meant to be looking unto Jesus the author the finisher of your faith from beginning to end he's taken care of everything he's already got the plan of your life written down and all he's wanting us to do is to follow the plan that he's prepared and you know what the plan finishes up successful and he said to Joshua before he went into the promised land he says Joshua he says, this is what you got to do he says you got to meditate day and night on the word and keep meditating he says you know the end product of meditating my word you see it's what we were saying earlier you're actually training your spirit to do the things that God has called you to do training there's no reigning you know and, and that's the problem that's why we've got to train children that's why you've got to get hold of these children where God says train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old he'll not depart from it we can get these children in every week praise God for the ones we have in the school they're in every day one Baptist minister when he looked round our school he says he says you know what he says we take the children in once a week into Sunday school he says but I can see the difference here because you have them every day 26 27 hours a week with the Word of God continually going into the children part of their learning part of their mass part of their science they're learning about a creator God amen not some big bang theory that just happened and they came about and they came from well some of them actually do say we came from the monkeys you know how foolish men can be but praise God we got the truth we got the truth here and uh, we can study it this morning and uh, one of the things of course we we're almost at the end over a year spent looking just at the simple word of gospel and what it means because you know we hear you know gospel singing we hear about this gospel and, and very few people really understand the fullness of the gospel the four-square gospel praise God it carries so much more than just getting born again amen okay, so much more Jesus came to proclaim the gospel he says I am anointed by the Spirit of God to proclaim this gospel and almost his last words on earth was to his disciples go and preach the gospel and make disciples he wasn't saying make converts he was saying make disciples disciples are disciplined ones it's a word that so often we don't like but you got to be disciplined to train your spirit you know there are those who train their bodies and you've seen the mr universes and they spend hour after hour and they got to feed the body with the right nutrients they got to do the physical training to be an Arnold Schwarzenegger you know 
And the Word of God says, you know, that bodily exercise does profit a little. But what Paul was saying is what's the most important thing is that you train your spirit. You shouldn't neglect the body, but you need to train your spirit. We probably make too little of the body because the body is the container for the Holy Spirit. Our body, the Word of God says, is a temple. Jesus said, I built it as a house for my dwelling place. God's intention always was to indwell his creation. His highest creation is man. He didn't want to be contained in a tent as the tabernacle or even in a temple as beautiful as it was. We were looking at this during the week and one disciple uh, came to Jesus and he said, and they, they were obviously kind of looking across at the temple and, and he was going into kind of ecstasies about this building. He says, Jesus, look at this, the beauty of the temple. And he was probably thinking he was going to get a few brownie points for, you know, uh, this. And Jesus said, no. He says, that's not what it's about. He actually said that they've made that temple a den of thieves. And he said, it's not about that. Not about that at all. Because God didn't want to be contained in a building, but he does want to be in us. And he wants to live his life through us. And in so doing, he gives us the very best life that we could live. And in spite of all that, there's still things that are going to be opposing the things that God has put within us. That's got to be the devil's work. He is the adversary. That's one of his names. He has come to destroy your temple. The devil wants you dead. He doesn't want you doing things for God. He will bring all kinds of things against us to stop us doing and fulfilling the plan that God has got for our lives. But his promise to uh, Joshua was, you know, if you do these things, if you meditate day and night and observe to do all the things that I've put in my word, Joshua, you will have good success. You will prosper. And sometimes, you know, Christians are afraid of this word, Prosper. They say, oh, well, it's this prosperity gospel, isn't it? Well, do you know that prosperity is in the gospel? Amen. It's just that it's been abused and been taught incorrectly. One of the best teachers I found on prosperity is Andrew Womack. The teaching is so balanced. And it's not about having things for ourselves. God wants to bless us. He wants to bring things to us. But he wants to get things through us. That's why God can use businessmen and he can give them, you know, good sense and give them, you know, the attitude to do good works, even in the business that they're called into. So that when people look at them, they recognize this person's important to my business. And you can carry that and your blessing. That business, because you belong to Jesus and you have got supernatural power working in you. Amen. We shouldn't be afraid of, of expressing things to our work colleagues. You know, this is Jesus. This is why uh, these things work. This is why things go right. My goodness, if businessmen realized. You know, a lot of businessmen now, they're going to lectures 
by Christian uh, teachers, professors, and they're hearing the gospel, they're not necessarily getting born again, but you know what they're doing? They're putting biblical principles into their businesses, and they're finding it's working. And one of those principles is to give. Give, and it will be given back to you. And uh, they tell me at Sainsbury's, they, they give like a million pounds away each year. It's part of what's written into their constitution. There are businesses that do this. One of the, uh, the biggest dairy farmers in, uh, in America was Demas Shikarian, who was, became a believer. And uh, he started giving and giving and giving. And he was just an ordinary dairy farmer, came to the Lord. He was the man who started the uh, Full Gospel Businessmen's Association. He's gone to be with the Lord now. But God started blessing him. Some of you know John Lang, he uh, was a builder in this, this country. He started tithing, his building profits. And he, his business, he became like the biggest builder in, in the country. And they say at the end of his life, he was actually tithing 90%. And the more that he tithed, the more the profits went up. That's God, isn't it? He's true, you see, he's true to his word. And so we, uh, we know all of these things are part of the gospel. And so there is an importance in these areas in the word. So we've been studying this. We're now uh, looking at 1 Peter. And, you know, there are certain parts of, of the Bible that uh, never get preached about because we like to preach about the nice things that are going on. And uh, yes, prosperity and healing and all of the good things that we can enjoy. But one of the few things that people speak about from the pulpit is suffering and judgment. Do we really need to hear about those things? Well, I think we do. It's in the Word. It's there for us. But the fact is, you see, that if you, if you study a whole book of the Bible, as we tend to do, or study a subject like this, you can't, you can't leave those things out. You've got to cover it all. And so uh, Peter uh, talks about these in 1 Peter chapter 4. We were looking at uh, part of that last, uh, last week. And uh, there's a, a verse there, verse 17 where Peter talks about judgment. And he says this, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of, the, of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And, and so we, we understand that this gospel is is so important. This is the message. This is what Vanessa and the team were giving to the children. The gospel. How wonderful that six of those children responded to the gospel very clearly and made a, a public confession of faith. And that's, you know, the importance of this. But without the gospel, without this teaching of the very fact that Jesus died for us, took our sins, paid the full price, and desires to come and live in us, and we can receive him by faith. You know, that this message of grace is so powerful. Changes lives, changes thinking, changes people's attitudes. But again, Peter is, is coming to the end of his life, uh, the time that he wrote this letter. 
and one of the things we realize is that um, I was saying you know, to the college that uh, it's, it's probably understood that even the Gospel of Mark, John Mark was um, associated with Peter, of course he was associated with Paul. They fell out um, uh, during that first missionary journey and uh, as a result, he, uh, Paul and Barnabas separated and uh, did different things. We don't read about Barnabas after that, in actual fact, we do about Paul. But John Mark was um, later reconciled to Paul, and uh, when uh, John Mark was working with, the, we believe, Timothy in Ephesus, uh, Paul said, let John Mark come and bring you know, he, he was asking for, for some books and other things and his cloak uh, gets cold in Italy in the winter, so they tell me. And um, uh, so he, there was clearly a reconciliation, but they think that probably a lot of uh, Mark's gospel, uh, because Mark wasn't obviously one of those 12 apostles, but uh, much of, of what he wrote down there was probably uh, founded by you know, what Peter had relate to him, and therefore many think that it adds very much of uh, um, uh, Peter's uh, understanding of things um, as he was a direct uh, apostle to the Lord Jesus. Um, but here, uh, Peter is now thinking that his time is short. Paul knew that his time was short, and we, we read about that where he says to Timothy, I'm now ready to go, I've run the race. I, you know, it wasn't that, you see, that uh, Nero took his life. He was now ready to, to fulfill martyrdom. It was the calling that God had put upon him, and some people are called uh, to that. They do say that there are more Christian martyrs today than at any time in the history of the church, just that we don't hear about those things other than if you're part of the Barnabas uh, Trust and they keep us informed of so many things that are going on uh, that don't get publicized. But again, a lot of what Peter is doing because he's talking to believers of his time who are also very much persecuted, suffering for their faith. And so uh, what he's writing here, we'll read from verse 12, you get the kind of gist of, of, of what's leading up to his, his statement about this judgment. He says, Beloved, this is verse 12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange things happen to you, but rejoice. Notice this, there's always this center of rejoicing. This is what can take you through any situation and it is our privilege to have joy it's the gift and it's a part of the working of the Holy Spirit love joy and peace is central to uh, all that the Holy Spirit brings to us in spite of the situation but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed you may also be glad with exceeding joy if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory of God and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Isn't that amazing how... Peter actually links those things. We think, well, I'm not a murderer, I'm not this, I'm not that. But he even says, but even a busybody, someone who is involved in other people's matters that shouldn't be, 
you know, trying to uh, find out about this. And, and so he links it in. So even if we think, well, I've never murdered anybody, I've never committed adultery, I've never done any of these things, but even if you've interfered in any way in somebody else's matters, you know, those are things that uh, we have to be careful as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. And so in these things, beloved, we, uh, we realize that uh, we're, we're living in, in times when we might think, well, you know, we're pretty okay in, in this country. Do you know that Christianity has become more marginalized in the last two or three years? We realize now with what's going on about redefining marriage, that the, this is just the thin end of the wedge. It won't stop there. And uh, I was reading um, someone had sent uh, an email about uh, a couple in, uh, in Germany. You know, if, if you think that these things can't happen here, and this is a, a family, I'm not even sure that they were Christian, but they were homeschooling their children. And they'd been persecuted in Germany because it is against the law to actually homeschool your children. You, you know, a lot of people don't realize you know, how serious these things are. And so they'd been, they'd actually lived in other places, been to France and even, you know, struggled with persecution and, uh, and things even there. And the husband, he kind of was struggling to get work in these other countries, so they returned back to Germany. And they said, well, and they got four beautiful children, ages 7 to 14, and um, they said, you know, we want to homeschool our children. And then the father, he, uh, he said, 8 o'clock one morning, he says that there were 20, I think, uh, social workers, police, all kind of people knocking on the door. And he said they'd actually brought uh, one of these battering rams to take the door down if it didn't open. So he opened the door. This is in Germany, you know. Um, and so he let them in. And uh, they said, we're taking all the children and uh, told the children that uh, uh, they, uh, you know, they wouldn't be seeing their parents for some time. And, uh, and they, all these four children have been taken away from them. And, you know, somebody pointed out, this is going back to the dark ages of Hitler. You know, this kind of thing going on. And, you know, th this is it. These children have been taken from them simply because they chose to homeschool their own children. And you think, what is going on? I don't know where this fits with kind of human rights that we keep hearing about that people are supposed to have if you're part of the EEC. And, uh, but you know that there is a body in this country who are now telling us that all... Christian schools should be closed down. They should be part of the state system. 
And they work over time on these things. And even though they can be just a small group of people, they can get things passed through Parliament at 2 o'clock in the morning and suddenly we wake up the next day and say, oh, well, you're sorry, but, you know, we've got to close these now. You should be part of. We had a lot of, in our early days as a, as a school, uh, I had Ofsted inspectors telling me that uh, they, would, they respected that we could teach the children up to 11 with accelerated Christian education material, but after that we should be doing the national curriculum. And why aren't you doing it? And that was pretty forcible. And uh, we had to dig our heels in and say, no, we're not going to compromise. We believe that uh, children should be hearing the truth. Of course, they, they get upset when you say things like that and pointing out that you know, the fact of teaching evolution as a fact in schools is wrong because it's a theory. And uh, you couldn't say anything against that because that was also the truth. But, beloved, we, we don't know how much time. You know, they've tried to stop us preaching the gospel on the streets. The only thing is, uh, in fact, we had a couple of men in who had been preaching on the streets in the shop during the week, and I said, you know, the only reason that you can get away with that is because John Wesley actually won the right for us to preach the gospel on the streets. I said, and that is still in the statute books. But police get uh, confused about the law, and uh, they were putting people in prison, some people that we knew in York, they'd been preaching in York, put them in prison. But it was against the law to put them in prison because that was in the statute books. They know that um, they, they'll do their level best. Uh, they, and of course, we've, we've had to fight that. And thank God for the um, Christian Law Society who are doing so much to, to keep these things, you know, ticking over for us. And, um, but nevertheless, it's getting more difficult. Why is it that you see mosques going up I've read in the newspaper, we've got another mosque uh, in Batley or Dewsbury going up. They get these properties, no problem. Well, how do they manage that when, you know, if we put a fence up, which we did, and they said that we were breaking the law by putting a fence round our playground, which was a safety thing for the children, and pointing out that if we don't have that up, we get people coming with their syringes and so on, and and that didn't move the council one bit, even though the police said, this is a good thing. We had the police on our side. And yet they still told us that we will have to take that now. And they said it was touching the, it was actually touching the building, was the fence. Dear me, you know, why was that such a problem? Well, it's a listed building. But they, and so we took half an inch off the fence so it wasn't touching the building. And yet they still come back and said, well, you know, we can't give you planning for that fence. Though our neighbor had got exactly the same fence as us, and this fence is okay, because it's been there nine years. So, praise God. Our fence is still up, by the way, but they, uh, <laughs> we're still fighting these things. But these, these are the kind of, you know, the demonic things that Satan gets up to. But we got to affirm, you know, that uh, he is under our feet, and as much as we realize we're not fighting flesh and blood, we're fighting principalities and powers. That goes for your personal life also. Sometimes you can get upset with people, and if you start fighting people, the devil has got you in his web, in his trap. Fight the principalities and powers behind it. Beloved, that's where the church comes in, because the gates of hell will not prevail against what? The church is so good to assemble together 
and don't forsake it because that's where your security, that's where your strength is together. You know, as Vanessa was saying, it's like the body. You need all the parts working. And when all the parts are working, you're going to have good success. You know, the Spirit of God loves unity. He says, I command the blessing where there's unity. But if there's division, God allows for multiplication. He allows for addition. You know what? He even allows for subtraction in the church. Ananias and Sapphira were, you know, those who were subtracted. But one thing he doesn't allow for is division. That means two visions. The church should have one vision that it's working towards. It's always to glorify Christ and all that he has done for us. But praise God, when we get into that, we're all on the same page and all working together. We've all got the different gifts and talents. So thankful for that. Not everybody's called to teach in the school. We need more staff, don't we, Mrs. Firth? She's looking forward to more help. And praise God, we thank God he's blessed us so much, but we do need more staff because God told us, get more staff, I can bring more children. You see? And we don't want to be limiting God in any way. We've got to take the limits off of God, haven't we? So, so often, even in your own personal life, you know what? You've made God in your image, but we're made in his image. We bring God down to our size and think he can't do this. Yes, he can, because he can do far more abundantly you could ever think or conceive. And once he begins to release certain things in our uh, thinking, you know, he can really begin to use us mightily. So in this, 1 Peter chapter 4, we realize that there is a judgment that is upon men. The reason that there's a judgment upon men is because men have made judgment about Christ. You know, God's not willing that any should perish. All should come to faith. Everybody is potentially saved in this world. Jesus died for everyone, but not everyone's going to make it into heaven. And the thing that keeps anybody out of heaven is one thing, unbelief. They do not believe in the Lord Jesus, that he is the Son of God, that he died for them. He paid the, the full price of their sins, and only through him uh, can they be forgiven. And therefore, the, uh, the, the word that I was looking at this um, word that Peter uses for judgment, there's several words in the Greek for judgment. This word is, is uh, in the Greek, it's krima, and... Uh, and you find that this word is used in, in, in several verses in the New Testament. One of those uh, areas is Romans chapter 2, verse 1. And it says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because... 
of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. We know that there is a day of judgment. That is to come. The good news for those in Christ is that we're not going to be judged on our sins because they've already been taken care of, praise God. The judgment that God brings to uh, the believer is a judgment concerning what we did with the things that we know, how we served him. And, and the good news is that there are rewards for that, praise God. But we are not under condemnation, as it says in Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. What a glorious truth that is. That's what keeps you free. Amen. Even past, present, and even future sins are already taken care of by the blood of Jesus. Praise God. And Jesus didn't, doesn't have to go and die again for us. You know, under the old covenant, they had to, every year, the high priest had to go into the Holy of Holies and take the sin offering. And that was going to... Uh, kind of cover their sins for a year but he'd have to go and do it again and there were certain sins that they had to you know sacrifice and so the sacrifices were going on on a daily basis even but Jesus entered once and did the whole thing that's why he could say on the cross as he was just uh, giving up his life he says it is finished he knew full payment had been made and that's what it took you know, for us to be forgiven and to have no judgment upon us for our sins anymore. And then in James, James chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Not many of you should become teachers. This is an interesting one. Sometimes we all want to be teachers, maybe. Uh, but it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So what a responsibility it's a good thing to, you know, to be a teacher, but it's not something that we should, you know, think, I want to be, you know, if God has called you, then there's the difference. But uh, you actually take responsibility for those you teach. Therefore, we've got to teach the truth. And we sometimes got to teach the things that people don't want to hear. We have to say things to children in school that they don't want to hear. Parents have to train up the children. Sometimes children don't want to hear the things that you're saying to them. It's interesting that as you become a parent yourself, you probably find yourself saying the very things that your parents said to you, and it comes back to you. And you realize, they actually knew more than I knew. You know, parents can be very wise you know, and, but at the time, the children don't recognize that wisdom because it's not going, you know, the way that they want it to go. And sometimes, you know, God chastises us because he loves us and he's telling us, no, this is not for you. Paul would say, you know, not, that all things are lawful to me, but not all things are really, uh, how does he put it, expedient. Thank you. It's good to have a wife who knows what you're thinking all the time. Well, not always, but... But, you see, what he was saying is because in Christ we are free, completely free, we can do anything. That's a wonderful place to be. But he says, but some things are not expedient. And there may be good things that you could be doing, but God says, but I don't want you to be doing those things right now because 
it's necessary for you to be doing this and uh, so we put things aside because we know we get the witness of the spirit and it may not be anything sinful or anything but God says for a season this is the way it is to be and so we give ourselves to that that's why we train our spirit and so that we we hear what the spirit is saying and we don't get off God's plan how important it is to know the voice of God and every born again you know there was a movement that came into the church some years back and it really was a controlling spirit and uh, believers were told who they could marry and they, it, it got into you know they were controlling every part of that believer's life and we were asked to join that many years ago and have one of these great teachers come in and, and we said this isn't God this isn't God this isn't what God does you see, every believer has got the Holy Spirit within them. And so what we should be doing is teaching them to learn and know the voice of the Spirit for themselves. Otherwise, you know, you've got to have these other people helping you all the time. Holy Spirit is our guide. Amen. He leads us into all truth. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have times when you can counsel with people and you know, and it always makes sense. We've done this over the years, uh, men of God that we know, and we've said, you know, we've got this situation, you know, what do you think? And you'll get good advice. But when it becomes a controlling spirit, there's something wrong with that because, you know, God has made us free. And we know that sometimes we give advice and it isn't taken, and we have to say, okay, you still got your free will, you know. Um, but Holy Spirit does that. Holy Spirit's boss man, as they say in China, and uh, he's in us, and he, he's the one who, if we listen to him, he'll always tell us to do the right thing. But, you know, the Spirit, Holy Spirit speaks to us, and he's really trying to guide us into the truth and into the right way. We can still say to him, I don't want to do that. That's when the flesh rises up, because we're meant to walk in the Spirit and be in the Spirit, you know, each day. And, uh, but that's a learning process. But the more we do that, the more we find our life is blessed and we are rejoicing. You know, a lot of sickness, I believe, goes out when we continue to rejoice in God and we stop the complaining because while ever we're looking at the problem or the sickness, we're not looking at the healer and we're to look unto Jesus and keep looking to him in spite of what every symptom is saying. But we say, but whose report do I believe? It's got to be the word. By his stripes, I was healed. And my children in school will know that that's in the past tense. That means it took place 2,000 years ago. I'm not trying to get my healing, trying to pull it out of heaven in some way. It's already taken place. It's already been done for me. But I've got to put faith to the word. You know, that's what causes the manifestation to come and for the healing to take place. Jesus always said to those who came to him, your faith has made you well. And he was saying, you have put faith to me, believing that I could heal you. And even the centurion, remember the centurion had a servant that was sick? And the centurion, Jesus was prepared to go to his house to heal this man. And the centurion, he turns around, he says, Jesus, he says, I am a man of authority. I control hundreds and hundreds of men. And if I say one word to them, they've got to obey me. Therefore, just speak the word. 
He recognized the great authority and the power that was in Jesus. He says, you don't have to come and lay hands on him. You just say the word. And Jesus turns to him and says, never have I seen such authority. No, not in all of Israel. What was he saying? You believe that through my word, he would be healed. And it's the same thing. Because it says in the scriptures, isn't it, that God sent his word and healed them. It's a word that goes out. If you receive the word into your heart, into your spirit, it will effectively change you. Isn't that how you got born again? Somebody preached the gospel. May have been a friend that told you about Jesus and you gave your life to the Lord. May have been Billy Graham. He preaches the word. And what you do, you take that word and you believe what this evangelist is saying. And it comes into your heart. And you believe it, and a miracle takes place. We always say the greatest miracle that ever takes place is the miracle of new birth, when you get born again. You might get healed and still go to hell. You know, if you don't know Jesus. And many people do. I said many times before, the Elim Church uh, that was across the road from us many years ago, that the pastor told me about this. He got a little boy... Uh, come to, they had a, one of the healing evangelists in the Elim Church. I forget his name, George Canty, I think his name was. He had a powerful healing ministry. And he had, they had him preaching. And this father brought his son, six years old, blind. He went into the meeting, uh, went out for prayer. The little boy's eyesight came back immediately. I said to uh, uh, the pastor, Dave, Pastor David Hudson, it was at the time. I said, David, I said, he, he's joined your church, has he now? And he says, he says, no. He said, I went to visit, didn't come. The next week, went to visit, didn't want to have anything whatsoever to do with the church. The little boy had been healed, blind from birth. And you think, wow, how can that be? But you see, the heart of man is desperately wicked unless it gets changed unless it gets cleansed by the blood of Jesus it remains still in that same state but praise God we know that our God is a, a good God in Galatians 5.10 on this word of judgment uh, Paul writes I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. That was in the context of persecution coming to those early believers. And what he's saying is that the one who is bearing that trouble, coming against the people of God, will have to pay the penalty one day. In other words, you know, the judgment seat of Christ, where everybody has to appear. Not one of us is going to be excused. Everyone will have to come and bow before the Lord Jesus. We will have to confess that you are the Lord. Everyone who has denied him. The Hitlers, the Stalins, everyone who opposed you know, the things of God will have to give account those who neglected the opportunity to receive the gospel when they heard it. Sometimes people only get one chance. They hear the gospel and yet that is the opportunity that God gives. And each of us can take that. I think back and I think, Lord, what would have happened if I hadn't have responded when that person asked me to go to church? In actual fact, 
The first person that asked me to go to the church, I said no. And it was only when he came back again. He said, are you sure? But because I had kind of made this kind of commitment uh, at some point a few years before, I said, if anybody ever asked me to go to church, I'll go once. And God reminded me of that. I don't know if that was the Holy Spirit speaking to me, but it was. But I, I often think, but what if I'd have said no, completely, no way, I could still be lost in my sins, heading for a lost eternity. It's frightening, really, isn't it? You, it can be just on that, you know, on somebody's word of testimony that we hear. But that is God drawing us to himself. He's not willing that any should perish. And then uh, in Revelation 20, it says, and this is John, the revelator. He actually saw this in heaven. It says, I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. You know, it says that we will judge angels you know, in eternity. We will have uh, roles in this way, but here we see these kind of elders that have gone to be with the Lord. And he says, uh, they were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus. That would be certainly uh, Paul, as we understand, beheaded for the faith, but many, many others. For the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. Notice that, for the testimony of Jesus and the word of God. That's, that's what the devil, you know, he hates the name of Jesus, but he hates the word of God. He doesn't mind you reading this word as long as it doesn't change you, as long as you just read it like any other book. But let it begin to minister to you, and that's something else. He gets on the scene very quickly. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Obviously, that's... Um, some of that he saw was seeing future those who would pass through a tribulation period and we know that the Antichrist will rise up uh, in that day and will demand complete control over everybody's life see control is something of the devil it always is you know, as the mark of uh, the beast upon it and Romans 5.16 it says and this is where it all gets you know, put in order and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, meaning Adam, for the judgment following the trespass brought condemnation. That's why Adam and Eve began to hide from God. They had walked with him in the garden. They had fellowship with God. It was a beautiful, perfect place. There was no sin. Everything was good. Everything that God made was good. But then when sin came, when one man's sin came in, it says, the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But notice this, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. See, Jesus became the second man, amen. And uh, there's only two men, you see, really. There's Adam and there's Christ. There's the one who was uh, in sin, the one who was righteous. And now we come out of Adam, we come into the Lord Jesus. And the free gift following many trespasses, all of your sins have actually been dealt with. 
and brought you into justification which someone has explained as being just as if I'd never sinned. That's the place, beloved, that you stand in this morning if you know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior. God has written it over you. Praise God. You are the righteous. You are righteousness of God in Christ. You are just in his sight. So when he looks at you, and that's why he can communicate with you every day, he doesn't have a problem. He invites you to come to him, to come into the Holy of Holies that only the high priest could go once a year under the old covenant or under the new. He says, come boldly to me anytime because I accept you because you're in Christ. Amen. What a privilege you know, to be in that position every day when you wake up on the, on the morning, you really can say, good morning, Holy Spirit. I know somebody wrote a book about that, but, uh, but it's true. You know, you should welcome the Holy Spirit. Say, thank you for being in me. Amen. You're not asking him to come. We don't ask him to come into our services. He's here, you know, because we're here, because he's in us. Praise God. Where two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst. You know, when we, we meet just, you know, we just had a couple of, you know, people in the meeting um, during the week in the Bible college. But Jesus was as much there as if we had 3,000 in that place. Doesn't bother Jesus, you know. Often Jesus' ministry was, was on one-to-one basis. Saying in the college, you know, that when this, this one believer was pointing out the beauty of the temple and Jesus had to kind of say, that's not what it's all about. But it then says that um, four of them, four of the disciples, Peter, James, John and Andrew, they, they kind of met with Jesus privately. They had lots of questions and they said, Jesus... Because one of the things, of course, that Jesus said to that disciple was, you know, not one stone is going to be left of that temple. Not one stone is going to be left upon another. Everything is going to be completely brought down. And so that then basically when, uh, when these four disciples got the chance, they said, Jesus, when are these things going to be? that you're talking about, that the temple will come down. I mean, that must have blown their mind. It's a beautiful temple that Herod had actually built for the Jews to placate them, keep them happy, because they were getting a little bit, you know, riotous, and uh, he thought, I'll build them a beautiful temple, and uh, that will satisfy them. Uh, that was man's idea. And so uh, Jesus says, no, even that. And so we, we know that when Mark's gospel was written, it was before A.D. 70, because we know what Jesus prophesied came to pass. And they say not one stone was left upon another. And they say the reason being is that when they built that temple, when Herod built that, there were streams of gold that ran through each of the stones that were put in. And so when, uh, uh, when the soldiers and other people came along, they were taking the gold you know, with, with the fire, of Rome and, uh, and so the, the gold would begin to melt and they, and they kept turning over the stones and taking out as much gold as they could. So the word of Jesus was fulfilled absolutely exactly as he said. Not one stone would be left upon another. 
But then, of course, he then, then said to these four inquiring disciples, two were men who Jesus found when they were bringing the fish in, ready for Jamie Oliver to clean. And, you know, we just saw this on, on TV where Jamie Oliver was in Greece and, and uh, he was passing this boat and the, uh, the captain of the boat, uh, he, uh, he just caught this great big fish, this tuna massive it was and Jamie Oliver shouting out let's have a look let's have a look I think he wanted to take a picture it was you know really massive and the, and the boat as they do in Greece I don't know if you've been to Greece but they're so giving we've, we've they've given us melons and all sorts and this this ship comes right up to Jamie Oliver and they he takes this fish and, and gives it to Jamie Oliver and the next thing you see him on this shore cutting this thing up and putting it into tuna steaks and then building this little fire. I said to her, I said, couldn't you just eat that? She said, oh, beautiful. But it goes back even, you know, it just reminds you of the, the time that Jesus made a breakfast for his disciples on the seashore. And it's very simple things. And, and yet uh, here we, we, we find Jesus telling the, these things that are basically so important for us to realize these things do happen what he said he said there'll be wars there'll be rumors of wars there'll be earthquakes pestilences everything is going to be you know in a mess in the in the last times he says that's what it will be like before i come again and haven't we got to a place where it seems very much like that we don't know i mean you know things change don't they but uh, the very fact that everything is centering around that that little nation called israel and um, we got a man coming to speak uh, next month. Uh, he lived in Israel for 25 years, and we're looking forward to him coming. He, he talks about the heritage, the covenant blessings of Israel, and uh, I think that's going to be around about the 19th of October, so mark that down. And um, he, he will definitely be worth uh, listening to. We need to realize it does center around Israel. That's why so much activity is taking place. But beloved, in all of this, it says, let's give unto the Lord the glory due his name. And uh, that's so important that we keep praising God and don't let uh, the enemy in any way put you in a place where he tells you that, you know, you can't make it. Yes, we can. We've already made it in Jesus. The very fact of your position right now is in the spirit realm you are in heavenly places in Christ. Amen. It says we have been seated together with him. You know, Jesus had to sit down on the throne when he went to heaven. It's interesting, isn't it? He, he actually sat down. But that is significant because the reason he sat down is because everything had been done that he needed to do. It's nice when you've, you know, I know we had staff working uh, yesterday getting ready for school and, um, and you've got to be up and doing things. But when things have been done and they've been finished, you sit down and you think, ah, that's so good. Well, praise God, Jesus has done that. And Father said, Jesus, you are welcome to sit down at my right hand. But the amazing thing is, the Word of God says, you've been seated with him. So you're not having to do anything for your salvation anymore. 
and yet he will call you to do things for him. But those things are to bring glory to his name and that's to ensure that the enemy is kept in his place because we have to be aware that, yes, there is this thing going on, but there is judgment. But, but the, the bottom line of what Peter really was saying, to tie this up, when he was saying, you know, judgment will begin at the house of God. But then he points out, but if, if you scarcely got in, and let's face it, we, we, we couldn't come to God with anything and say, you need to accept me into your heaven. We scarcely got in. We only got in simply because of what Jesus did. We saved the thief on the cross. He never got a chance to do anything. And yet Jesus said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Which tells you very clearly it's not about works. It's not about anything that we could do. We scarcely get in. But he says, if you scarcely got what about the people that didn't actually respond to the gospel? And so he's really saying, We've got to be about the business of getting the gospel out. Amen. And I'm so thrilled we've got a Bible college that's sending students out into all the world because God told us that that was necessary and that as a church we would see that happening, that people would be going into all the world. It's not for everybody to go, um, but certainly we're, we're just so encouraged that there are those who are committing. We've got 20, 30 students in the Bible college who are potentially ready to go into all the world. And we don't know where God might send them, but he's going to send them into some interesting places, I'm sure. Not only that, we're going to get visited by those who are coming from different nations, different Bible colleges, because some of them want to come to Dewsbury, would you believe? I'm fascinated that we keep hearing of these students saying, God told me to come to Dewsbury, to Bible college. It's a little bit like uh, what they said about Nazareth. Could any good thing come out of Nazareth? Only the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. So who knows? You know, there could be a John Wesley, there could be a Hudson Taylor, there could be a Amy Carmichael. Who knows who might come out of these colleges that uh, Andrew has been seeing set up all through the world. So praise God. We're on victory ground. Amen. Father, we just thank you today for the, the great hope that is in us. So we've been singing this hope this anchor of our soul that, that holds us steadfast and sure. In spite of the storms, whatever might come, you say it's this hope that will keep us and take us through uh, so that we will finish the course that you set for us. We thank you, Father, for everyone here that uh, has come this morning. We know that you want to bless every person, every household, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for each and every one, and that together you called us to serve you in this day in which we have, while it is yet day for salvation, Father. We thank you that there is a time when these things will be wrapped up, as your word has told us. But, Father, enable us to be about your business, about spreading this gospel to friends, neighbors, relatives, whoever it might be, those that we meet during this week, Lord. Let your word go forth. Because as your word goes forth, Lord, we know that there is opportunity for people to take hold of this great salvation that you offer to as many as that will call upon the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. For more information, please check out www.jewsburygospelchurch.org.uk.